0: There were 800 double-unders in 18.3. There were 180 GHD sit-ups and 180 pistols in quarterfinals event two. There were 73 wall walks in 21.1. There were 60 ring muscle-ups in the online semifinals event three. If you want to maximize your performance on these kinds of tests or just improve your fitness to be the best version of yourself, you've got to turn up the training volume. Hey, it's Ben Wise, and this is The Fitness Movement. Hey, it's Ben again. The fitness movement is brought to you by Zor Fitness. Zor Fitness is my company and my platform to deliver training related content to people just like you. The site features in depth articles, movement breakdowns, and our online training program, The Protocol. And I offer one on one remote coaching for fitness athletes. So I hope you check it out. Head over to ZorFitness.com. That's Z O A R Fitness.com. See you there. And welcome back to my rant on the role of training volume. So today's outline, I want to talk about defining training volume, and then once we've defined it, I want to talk about some of the principles of training volume, and then how much is enough and how much is too much, and then the benefits and drawbacks of building volume, and then how you can actually go about building volume. So the actual training itself. So let's jump into it. Let's define training volume first. So most simply, I would say it's the amount of training an athlete is doing. So it's how much you're doing. So there's a bunch of different ways that you could go about potentially measuring training volume, whether it's um, mileage uh, or the number of meters that you're doing in different endurance sports, whether it's like running or cycling or swimming. Um, It could be just like the gross tonnage that you're lifting or like the number of tough sets that you're doing. If you're in a strength sport like powerlifting or weightlifting could be maybe the number of contractions that you're doing in specific patterns or specific movements. If you're talking about Metcons or CrossFit. I don't want to get too far into the weeds on that. I already did a super in-depth article on the website. It's called measuring volume in CrossFit. And I talk about the, the limitations of measuring volume in certain ways, whether it is gross tonnage versus tough sets versus the mileage that you're doing versus zone work versus um, contraction volumes in certain patterns. I got into all the details on that. So if that's something you're interested in, I'm not going to repeat myself here. Um, there's a pro article on the site. I'll link to it in the show notes. As always, you can view them at Zora slash podcast slash zero thirty eight 38, this episode number. So be sure to check that out. I'll link to it there. It is a pro article, but I will link to a spot where you can get a free trial. So if you're someone who doesn't want to pay, but you still want to read it, you can do that. But that's the kind of stuff I'm covering in the pro membership. So again, I don't want to get super sidetracked about going through all the different ways that you could measure volume. But if you are working with a coach, they should 100% be tracking volume in some way and thinking about how to progress that over the course of your season or your athletic career. But generally speaking, volume is the gross amount of training that you're doing on a weekly basis. So let's get into some of the principles of training volume Um, here again. I'm pulling from measuring volume in CrossFit, that article that I mentioned before. Um, I'm intentionally not overlapping all the content here, but I just want to touch on a few of the introductory points from that article and uh, a few of the principles that I pulled from it. Number one is that volume is always in respect to time. All right. So I'm going to have three different examples here. Mike cycles eight to 10,000 miles per year. Linda swims two to three K per session. Jamie squats 15 to 20 sets per week, right? So it's always in respect to time. Principle number two, volume is pattern specific. So it was Mike cycles eight to 10,000 miles per year. Linda swims two to three K per session. Jamie squats 15 to 20 sets per week. It's always pattern specific. Principle number three is volume is always in relationship to intensity. So let's say you uh, run one mile. Is that high volume? Most people, like even recreational athletes would be like, no, that's not high volume, especially if it's like at a slower pace. Like say it's at your marathon time trial pace. No, that's not high volume. Like it's not even a big deal at all to be able to do that. Like you're going to be able to sustain that for multiple times that length for most people. But if you would say that mile, it's 16 sets of 100 meter dash and that's at 100% max effort. And then you're like, whoa, okay, that's a little bit different story. Like, that is crazy volume now. We always have to talk about volume in respect to intensity. Those two are always going to be in conversation with one another. You can never bring up volume without talking about the intensity about which you're executing that volume at. And that's one of the reasons why things like gross tonnage for power lifts is a terrible way to measure volume on a weekly basis. Because you could just be doing these garbage sets of light lows and just be accumulating all this work, but that's never going to help you actually express maximal capacity on the platform like you need to, which is ultimately your sport. So again, the volume is always in relationship with intensity. Principle number four is volume is always in relationship with density. If you're new to the concept of density, I would go back and listen to the very first episode of the fitness movement. That episode is solely dedicated to the concept of density. So in 20.3, there were 90 total Dellas, 45 at 225, 155, and then 45 more at 315 or 205 respectively. So I remember for that workout, I was pretty crushed. Like my low back, hamstrings, that whole complex was just absolutely sore and just tired for the next like three to four days at least. And... Fast forward, maybe six months later, uh, I was in a shutdown because of COVID, and you know, didn't have much to do. I ordered some stones for my driveway. I got a gra- gravel driveway, a couple tons of stones. I was moving it around, turned it into a workout where I did, you know, just basically just moving stones the whole time, and then every ten minutes for ten sets, I did ten deadlifts at three fifteen. So basically, I was moving stones around most of the time, and then every ten minutes, I'd go walk over to the bar and do ten deadlifts at three fifteen. So I am not great at math, but ten times ten, that's a hundred deadlifts. So people would expect like, oh, you did 90 deadlifts in 20.3 and not all of them were actually at that load and you got super sore from it. I would imagine if you did hundred at that heavier load that you're going to be crushed from that. I was not crushed from that. Right. And that's largely because like, I didn't do a bunch of extra deadlifts where I prepped myself at the, the, you know, six months prior. No, I just like did that workout. Like it wasn't anything special. And the real difference was because of the density of that work. So if I did 10 reps every 10 minutes, that's one rep every minute versus 20.3. That's 90 reps in nine minutes. And I went right up against that cap, which is 10 reps per minute. So literally I did 10 times the density in that open workout that I did when I was moving stuff around my driveway. And that's the reason why I got so much more sore on that one. So anytime we talk about volume, we have to understand what was the density like in the environment that that took place in. Let's use a different example. Say it was 10 rounds, 400-meter run, three-ring muscle-ups. You're way less likely to be sore and beat up from that versus if it was four-time, 4K run, plus 30-ring muscle-ups. The volume in both of those are exactly the same, but the density of that work is dramatically higher like the amount of local fatigue that you're going to be getting while going 30 ring muscle ups at the end of the workout versus having three spaced out with a 400 meter run is essentially a break in between each one. It's going to be way easier on your upper body in terms of volume to be able to accumulate 30 ring muscle ups with doing three at a shot over 10 rounds versus doing really dense work for the last couple of minutes of that workout. So let's review these principles really quickly. Volume is always in respect to time. Volume is pattern specific Volume is always in relationship to intensity, and volume is always in relationship with density. Moving on, how much is enough and how much is too much? So, I'll put a little disclaimer on this first. Don't build volume for the sake of building volume or build volume at the expense of your overall like training quality or cer- certainly not your health. But I truly believe that for most people, they can actually benefit a lot from just increasing their overall training volume. Like if they build their volume in the right way, that that's going to probably lend itself to performance for most people. Um, and I'm pretty confident backing that statement up. However, I would say uh, maybe a more accurate way to answer this is like how much is enough. It it really comes down to the goals and the level of the athlete. So let's say someone's a GPP athlete. They're looking for general fitness. They want to be doing this for a long period of time. They want to look good. They want to feel good. They want to be able to, you know, have this elevate other aspects of their life basically. Right. So with that being the context, they're probably going to spend a lot of their training time doing strength work and aerobic work and, Um, They're going to be spending more time sort of on the ends of the spectrum in that sense where they're not accumulating nearly as much intense volume doing dynamic contractions and mixed work like you're going to see like the sport version of CrossFit doing like they don't need to be doing that. And if they choose to do that because that's something they enjoy, they're going to be doing that infrequently like that's not going to be near as often. Obviously, like that makes sense. Now let's say we have a competitive athlete. So they're preparing for the CrossFit season. Depending on the level of that athlete, they could be getting, um, maybe they know that the open is their peak and they're not going to make it past that. Maybe they're, you know, confident that they can make it past the open in the quarters. Maybe they're trying to make the semifinals. Maybe they're trying to make the games. All those are different level of athletes. And as a result, the level of volume that they need to build in the course of their, their training year and course of their build up to competition needs to be different as a result. So let's say we have an open level athlete that's where they're trying to peak. They're going to be doing one to two tests per week. So realistically, it's going to be like a test and then a repeat trying to get a better score. Um, so they can maximize their score potential over the course of those three weeks. They're doing again, let's just say it's two tests every seven days you know, to make a week. That's going to be 0.3 workouts per day, which sounds a little weird when it's written that way, but it's going to make sense once we go down to the other levels. Uh, if we go to something like quarterfinals, that's five events over three to four days. So if someone's peaking for that, that's 1.5 workouts per day that they're testing. Semifinals, it's seven events over three days. It's pretty similar, but I mean, movement selection, a variety of movements that they're selecting from is a bit different. So that's still, you know, two, 2.3 workouts per day. So lastly, we have a games athlete. This is the top of the elites. They're trying to, you know, peak for the games. If we take, 2010 to 2020 stage two, the average of all of those events, that's 12.5 events. And that usually happens over the course of four to five days um, historically, which is 2.5 workouts per day. So you can see like the level at which you want to compete at determines the volume that you need to prepare for. So an open level athlete, say they're at the 85th percentile, doesn't need nearly as much training volume as someone who is a quarterfinals level athlete, who's maybe like the 95th percentile. And they don't need as much as a semifinals athlete who's maybe in the 99.98 percentile, and they don't need as much as a games-level athlete who's in the 99.99 percentile. So it really does change based on the level that you want to compete at and that you are at currently as an athlete. So if this is a concept that's relatively new to you, I wrote a whole article on the CrossFit Open functional volume data, which is functional volume is basically the number of contractions in a movement that you need to be able to handle um, in a given workout based on in the past what has come out. So an example of functional volume, if you're a male, let's say you want to place in the top 10,000, you should be prepared to do 80 toes to bar in a workout without that being a problem for you. So that's precisely what I'm looking at in that article. It's each of the movements that have come up in the open, male, female, and then also three different levels of athletes based on placing. So if you're in the top 100 versus the top 1,000 versus top 10,000, how many do you need to be able to do? So the number that I've toes the bar you, you need to be able to do if you're in the top 10,000 is not the same as if you're in the top 1,000. is different than if you're in the top 1004 for females versus males, et cetera. So I break that all out in that article. And it's a way for you to be able to more intelligently adjust your training to the demands of the sport. So again, I'll link to that in the show notes. Be sure to check it out. Zorfitness.com slash podcast slash 38 to check out the show notes. So let's move on to the benefits of building volume. Overall, you're going to be more efficient and more economical, and this is going to take a place across multiple different levels. First of all is motor learning. So your movements are getting cleaner. They're getting smoother. And this is something that I talked about with Sam Smith on episode 31. When we we're talking about training volume. Basically, things have to get easier as you do more work. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to continue to do more work. Um, so that's one of the things. That if you just learning to do more, you get more efficient. Like You figure out ways to clean up your movement, to get it to be cleaner, to get it to be smoother and ultimately easier so that you can do more intense, more dense work down the line. So, motor learning is one. Two is systemic adaptation. So, this is things that are going to lead to better aerobic metabolism. Matt Webkey he mentioned that it was heart, lungs, blood. Those are basically the things that are adapting. So, for example, stroke volume, the amount of blood that is coming out of your heart per beat will get more. Your diaphragmatic endurance or just overall respiratory efficiency is going to improve. You'll have more red blood cells that allow you to carry more oxygen in your blood. All of those types of changes are things that are occurring on a systemic level, and they're going to allow you to be more efficient. One of the things that I might add to that list is thermoregulation. So basically, like your ability to be able to cool yourself off and keep yourself at the right temperature. Um, it's a super important skill that, and quality that you have to basically develop by putting yourself in situations where you're potentially overheating and be able to adapt to that and overcome it over time. Um, No different than any other endurance quality, but I think it's an important thing, especially in mixed modal where, yeah, internal temperatures tend to skyrocket quickly in mixed work. So it's an important thing, no doubt. I think people who have done MRF understand where thermoregulation can be an issue, especially if you're doing it in a hot climate, you know, with a vest on, like it just exaggerates all the other fatigue factors. And then the last way that you become more efficient and more economical is through local changes. So one local change would be muscle right if we're talking about muscle it could be um we're going to have more capillaries in the muscle we're going to change our enzyme profile in the muscle we're going to make the muscle where it has more contrast in fiber types so we have more fast or slow twitch fibers so there's a lot of different things that we can change within even just a single tissue like muscle and building volume is obviously going to be helping with your endurance like your endurance capabilities and your training volume are going to be highly correlated but it's not just about like those longer slower events I kind of explained this in episode 36 when I talked about battery on basically how the aerobic system is really responsible for sort of bailing you out of fatigue and the buildup that takes place from like a high effort burst. So for example, if you're lifting heavy, to be able to do that again and again on a short rest period, you have to have a robust, well-built aerobic system. So the changes of building volume and the process of vo- building volume that that takes place that happens on so many different levels. Well, let's talk about some of the drawbacks of building volume. Obviously nothing's a panacea like there is no magic pill that's going to you know solve all your problems. So this is no different. Like you have to be smart and if you're not smart in the way that you go about it, like you're going to have maladaptations and that's the case for any training quality that you try to increase. You have to be smart about it. So that being said, is someone actually getting smart about it, here's still some of the conflicts that you could see. One of the big things is that there's a conflict of resources for an athlete, especially someone who's trying to get stronger. So even athlete who strength is a big priority, um, just because they're not as strong as they want to be to be able to compete at the level that they want to compete at, then. You have to understand that you are going to have a balancing act of that athlete's training time, their energetic demands. So just like their overall calorie, like energies, on the development of different systems, like all those are going to be sort of in conflict with one another because of those sort of contrasting qualities that they need to have concurrently. So if you have more contractions, that's what building volume is, it's more contractions. We're making this more of an endurance stimulus for making it more of an endurance stimulus. Those have to be softer contractions. If you're rowing a 10 K and you have 1200 contractions because you have 1200 pools on the rower that you have to do in the course of that, you know, 35 or 40 minute time trial, then you need to be able to have a softer contraction where you can have steady blood flow to the muscle where you can have less tension and that's going to allow for better endurance. So realize that if you're someone who is building volume You need to do that in a way that has less interference for your strength work. And this might seem counterintuitive, but oftentimes that means doing easier aerobic work where you're not fatiguing the same systems that are going to be required for that strength work. So you're kind of moving this to the ends of the energy system spectrum where your strength work is much more anaerobic and you're using a lot of fast switch muscle fibers and your easy aerobic work is just like that sounds. It's easy, right? And because of that, that's going to have less interference. Again, this is if strength is one of your main training priorities. So if strength is one of your priorities, let the goal be the goal and don't try to just build crazy training volume. Be smart with your training volume, maintain it and build on your strength. And then once you're at the strength level that you need, then you can begin to build your volume on top of that. So let's talk about the training, how you're actually going to go about building volume. I personally think that building volume can take place on two different fronts. Number one would be what I would call physiological capacity. So this is sort of like thinking about raising the systems or the thresholds that you need to be able to basically do your sport at a higher level. So it's like the raw systems. So we could call this energy systems training. We call this aerobic development. We call this zone work. All those would fall under this. The second would be sports performance. So just as it sounds, this is your sport. This is mimicking the movements, time domains that you're actually going to be tested in, which is basically going to be met cons, right? And it's a lot of gymnastics, a lot of weightlifting modalities in those metcons because that's what you're going to see in most qualifier settings. So in the the open, in the quarterfinals, you don't see a lot of rowing or running or tons of swimming. That's largely reserved for the game. So if we're talking about people who are in the qualifier level, they're mainly doing gymnastics and weightlifting and they're mainly doing met So those are the two. We got physiological capacity and we got sports performance. Let's talk about how we can progress each of those respectively. So physiological capacity, we again, we just call this energy systems training. Realize that number one, I'm going to be calling these steps, but these certainly don't need to be linear. Like you don't do step one and then stop doing step one and go to step two. You could probably layer them in that sort of a way, but realize that certainly you could be doing easy zone work the entire year and maybe just pulling that out you know, during a lead up to competition and sort of a taper phase, and that'd be perfectly fine. Um, and likewise, you could be doing tougher energy systems training a good portion of your year. And that would be sort of the last step. But yeah, again, perfectly fine. So while you can sort of layer them in that way, these aren't necessarily linear, like step one, step two, step three, like you would think traditionally. So step one you can build time on low intensity cyclical work. So I would kind of define lower intensity cyclical work as, you know, maybe 55 to 75% of your max heart rate and just building time in those zones. So for the people I coach, this is zone one or zone two work, which in just sort of language would be like a smooth, easy to moderate cruising type pace. So for me, my max heart rate is 185. So zone one would be like 111 to 130 beats per minute. Zone two would be like 130 to 148 beats per minute. So no point does that feel unsustainable to me, right? So it's something that's smooth. It's easy. It's aerobic. That's the whole idea. And then step number two, again, we don't need to stop doing that easy aerobic work at any point, but certainly we can maybe add this on or do this at certain times of the season, whatever. So step two, but our first option would be to actually either progress that cyclical intensity where maybe we're doing more volume at a slightly higher heart rate now, um, but maybe less overall minutes of work or time spent on that erg, but the time in that higher zone is slowly accumulating. So maybe we're in zone three work now, where it's just a little bit more intense. And this is something that's starting to feel a little bit more unsustainable for the athlete. So then our other option, option two, would be to continue with that lower intensity cyclical work, but then we could add in isometrics, um, holds, or like other uh, low eccentric movements. So for the people that I coach and people doing the protocol, they're going to recognize this as aerobic accessory. And that's the language, the name that I've given to, yeah, basically that combination of things where we might have, again, different ergs mainly. So it could be like row or salt bike at an easy heart rate zone, like zone zero, zone one, zone two, maybe. And then we could interlace these other low eccentric movements with it. So it could be planks. It could be polyph presses. It could be a front rack or an overhead or a farmer's carry. It could be dead hangs or it could be easier movements like step ups or single unders or air squats, bodyweight walking lunges, like hitting these different patterns and accumulating a lot of contractions. But it's very easy work where there's not any real recovery demand from that. Like you're recovering as you go. Like it's very sustainable contractions that whole time. And then step three would be energy systems training. All training is energy systems training. Yes, I know that. But at the same time, for me, what I kind of use when I'm talking about energy systems training, I'm, I'm talking about tougher cyclical work. So this could be intervals on the salt bike or erg or air runner or rower or any other machine like that. And then you can always start to mix in other movements um, that are maybe gymnastics or weightlifting based that still allow for a high power output that's still eliciting that physiological capacity type response, right? Still pushing you in your quote engine. So for example, that could be a burpee box jump over. It could be a bar facing burpee or moderate deadlifts or anything like that, where it's a high power movement and you're using a lot of your musculature. So a simple example of row energy systems training could be 20 sets of a 40 second row, 20 second rest at your 2K time trial pace. Tough, effective, simple. Another example could be 8 10 sets of a 40 calorie air bike at your 10 minute test average wattage directly into 12 bar facing burpees at 3.2 seconds per rep. And you rest a 7 out of 10 recovery between those sets. So those would all be examples of things that would help improve your physiological capacity through building volume. Secondly, let's talk about sports performance. Again, you don't need to necessarily progress through these linearly. Uh, I'm just going to be putting them in, in order to help organize uh, your thoughts a little bit. Step one would be intervals with a cyclical component that are non-interfering movements. Non-interfering meaning that you're not using the same muscle groups for all of the movements which will just burn out a particular muscle group. So for example, if it was wall walks, dumbbell shoulder to overhead and thrusters, that combination is all upper body pressing. So it's going to be very challenging to sustain that and to build volume in that. So we're going to be opting for things that are lower eccentric. So cyclical modalities with non-interfering movements initially. So a simple example could be like a 18 minute AMRAP. So as many rounds as possible for 18 minutes, a four bar muscle ups, eight power cleans at 135, 12 calorie row rest 90 seconds between rounds. So you're breaking it up so you can keep the quality of the work really high. And the cyclical component allows you to pace it a little bit more where you're not just going to be blowing up the whole time. If you're someone who those movements are really high power output for you. Step two then would be to move to continuous work. So we're moving the rest period out of that. So it's just AMRAP 18 minutes, four bar muscle ups, eight power cleans, 12 calorie row. But now you don't get that rest break in between. Step three would just be to do a Metcon, right? So you remove this cyclical component. And again, for a lot of qualifiers, this is the way that it's written. They're often couplets or triplets. So a simple example would be a 12-minute AMRAP of eight thrusters, 95-65, and eight toes-to-bar. So that was sort of phase one. You could go back and do steps one, two, and three again, but now with interfering movements. So movements that are going to be contributing a lot to muscular fatigue in a particular muscle group. So it's the exact same thing, but layering in that muscular endurance component. So for sports performance specifically, I would not tell most people just to add duration um, to the workouts. Like a 40 minute AMRAP is not necessarily better than a 15 minute AMRAP, even if you're trying to add training volume, just because like if you're preparing for the sport, like the the demands of the sport aren't changing. Like you still need to prepare for seven to 15 minute workouts at a super high intensity. So I would say opt for more Metcons that mimic the sport then start to add additional sessions into your week. So for example, maybe add one session every two to three months over the course of one to two years. And that's going to really bring up your volume, right? So you go from single session days and two years later, you're doing double session days, five days a week. Great. That's a simple way for you to really get a lot of quality training volume in and not have that move away from the specificity of the sport because again if we're talking about sports performance you have to do things that mimic the sport allow your energy systems work to improve your physiological capacities and allow your mechanics to improve your sports performance it's pretty simple keep it simple so a few closing thoughts first of all create a way to measure volume that you're doing now Like figure out a way that you can currently without actually changing anything that you're doing, figure out how much volume you're actually doing. It could be, well, I'm doing five sessions a week right now. Okay. That's one way to do it. You could also start to measure the amount of minutes that you have in certain zones, the number of contractions that you're having in different patterns, find a way that you want to do it. And then you can start to number two, progress the volume slowly, maybe five to 10% per week would be appropriate for most people. If you start going up to 15 or 20, you're not going to be able to sustain that for more than a few weeks. And you're much more likely to experience cranky joints and overreaching and poor you know recovery scores and all of those things if you try to progress it quicker than that. So figure out where you're at and then progress slowly from there, maybe five to ten percent per week. Number three, make sure that you're recovering from the work that you're putting in. So you're increasing your training volume, make sure that you are tracking some of the key indicators that you need to to be able to determine if you're actually recovering from the work that you're putting in. If you're not recovering from the work that you're putting in, you're not getting better. you're just putting in more work. That is not the goal. The goal is not just to do more the goal is to do more and get better. <laughs> so what I would recommend is go listen to episode 30 revisit that one that's evaluating readiness to train. I talk about some of the key points that you should be tracking from terms of recovery so that you can be improving over time. Number four, build volume in the preseason and early in your competitive prep. So you should not be building volume as you're going into the final phases of your prep work for a competition. And certainly you're not going to be building volume when you should be tapering for competition. I see people sometimes trying to do more like as they're getting ready to compete. That should not be the goal. You should have built volume early in your season. And then after you've kind of reached a peak as you're getting ready to go into your more intense preparatory work, you're gonna to start to taper that back as the intensity of that work goes up. And that allows you to be able to peak at the right time and to be able to express your capacity even further at that time. Lastly, number five, don't skip it, people, deload and take off seasons. This ensures that you stay healthy, ensures that you stay resilient. You must be resilient in order to adapt. You must adapt in order to get better. And if you want to be good in this sport, you want to be around a long time and you want to win, you're going to have to do it. Turn up the training volume. Hey, it's Ben again. And I want to take a minute to talk about our online training program, The Protocol. The Protocol is for athletes who want to train for the sport of fitness. It's programmed by me and it's my best attempt at preparing athletes with varying strengths and weaknesses for the demands of the sport. And I do this for the use of silos, which basically means I segment parts of the program based upon athletes ability in a particular area. So for example, an element of the program this fall on Tuesdays and Thursdays was gymnastics focused training. And there are four different silos. So athletes could choose to work on chest bars or muscle ups or handstand pushups or handstand walks. In other words, we are all doing the same core program, but there are ways to individualize it on a weekly basis. And as part of the program, I also include coaches' notes, technique videos, and educational resources almost daily. My goal is to not just have this feel like you're doing a workout plan, but to feel like I'm actually coaching you through the process of becoming the best athlete you could be. And having access to the protocol is just part of the benefit of being a pro member. You also get instant access to the vault, which is exactly like it sounds. It means that you unlock the ability to be able to download all the programs that I've ever written. So this includes things like Bulletproof Body, which is the accessory work for functional fitness, gymnastics density for the big five, functional thickness, reverse muscle up, cyclical supremacy, overhead squat mobility, breath work for the support of fitness, and it could go on and on. And lastly, you get instant access to pro articles, which are on topics that everyone really to safeguard from the public and keep for my athletes. Stuff like Cycle speeds for CrossFit open movements, strength ratio data analysis, so basically determining your relative weaknesses on strength work, breaking down, sanctionals programming or games programming, energy systems testing and analysis, and a whole lot more. And if this sounds like stuff that you're into, you can get a seven-day free trial of Pro. Simply head over to ZorFitness.com slash pro. Thanks for listening. And as always, stay the course.